Hello, everybody, and welcome to another off-season edition of Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast, Hangout in the Holy Land. I am your host, Gene Ross, and joining me, as always, are my two wonderful co-hosts, Josh Dooley and Justin Golba. How are we doing today, boys, on this fine Monday evening? Oh, we're doing great, Gene. Happy to be here. Uh, ready to chop it up with you and Justin. Yeah, I'm doing great. Ready to have, talk about some Ohio State football and basketball. Yeah, we've got a we've got a good amount of topics to talk to you about today. There's been some stuff that happened last week that we're going to walk through today, starting with the announcement of some of Ohio State's football schedule kickoff times. Uh, we knew that you know it's a little bit of a weird start for Ohio State this season. They're going to Minnesota on a Thursday night for the first game of the season, and then they're going to play Oregon. That's that was announced as a noon game, as we know Fox likes to do their big noon Saturday. Um, so I wanted to start out, before we get into a little bit about that, I wanted to kind of gauge you guys' opinions on just in general, like noon starts in college football. I know that's kind of the way that these big networks have been moving these days as they, they feel like they get more viewership during the day. I know at uh, on LandGrant.com we've had, uh, I think Brett wrote a piece last week on his thoughts about it. I don't think he's a big fan. And I know Matt and Jordan talked about it on their podcast earlier this week. But uh, I wanted to get your guys' opinions. What do you guys think of noon starts versus night starts? You a fan? You're not a fan? What do, what do, what's the feeling on that? Yeah, you know, I mean, I might be in the minority. I don't mind them it's really six of one half dozen of another for me um you know I think when I was a little bit younger when I was a student at Ohio State I looked forward to those night games you could uh you know engage in activities all day uh, and kind of get geared up but I like that new game I think it puts us on a platform um the SEC really kind of hits that afternoon hard they have quite a few night games themselves so like I said, I, I'm pretty indifferent to it. I'd like to see some more night games, but I feel like we, some years we do get our fair share against a Wisconsin and a Penn State. It seems like for whatever reason, we play those teams a lot at night. So I, I think we get our fair share and I don't have a whole lot of complaints as far as a noon game versus a night kick. Yeah, for me, there's a lot of factors to go into it. Um the first being, I don't mind the noon games. Also, just because I enjoy Joel Clyde and Gus Johnson, and I know the big noon kickoff means that we get them. So that's something I enjoy. And I enjoy the uh, the Fox uh, pregame show beforehand. So it's a nice little just transition into that, kind of like when you'd watch game day and then going right to the noon games on ESPN. Um, I have a huge problem with it when we're playing a Pac-12 team like Oregon because that now they have a 9 a.m. game. Uh, that doesn't seem fair in the slightest to them to have their biggest game of the season be at 9 a.m. on their time. That seems just logistically very odd. Um, and then as a college football fan, I kind of enjoy it because selfishly I get to watch whatever big primetime game is that night, whether it's an SEC game, a Big 12 game, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, kind of open, it frees up that slot to where I can watch the 8 o'clock game that whatever is the primetime game. Um, but East, I don't have a problem with the noon games. I think we're doing too many of them. I would like to see a balance between the noon games and primetime games. To me, there's no reason the Oregon game should be a noon game. Uh, like I said, just because that should be a primetime game. It's maybe the biggest non-conference game of the season outside of, I believe, Georgia plays Notre Dame uh, again. But also, like I said, with Oregon being at 9 a.m., that just seems – very odd to me. So I, I like the noon games when we're playing another Eastern time team, but when it's, when it's uh when it's a Pac-12 team like that, I'm, I, I don't like that. Yeah. Hey, Justin, I, that's a really good point. Uh, sorry, Gene, I, you brought up a really good point. Gus and Joel, Joel Klatt on the call kind of tips the balance for me. I do like those guys a lot. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, for sure. I agree with kind of a lot of both what both of you said. Um, I do think uh, I think the only I think Georgia plays Clemson, if I'm not mistaken, but I, they might also play Notre Dame. But yeah, there is I, Ohio State Oregon is definitely one of the bigger non conference games this season. There are a pretty good amount of good non conference games, so I'm looking forward to a lot of those. But yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said, especially what Josh said about how you know when you're a student. It was a lot different with the noon games because you didn't want to wake up early and you know go party with your friends. And like when it was a, when it was a night game, you kind of had all day to kind of you know it was like a whole it was a whole event you know. And the entire Saturday was just leading up to that game at nighttime, so that was always nice. But now, having graduated and being an old man at this point at, at 25, I uh, I kind of enjoy having getting the game out of the way at noon. You know, and when Ohio State wins like 98% of their games, it's easy to, you know, enjoy the rest of the college football schedule that day without any stress after, you know, another big Ohio State win. So I think it is, it's nice in that regard to have the game at noon and just be able to enjoy college football for the rest of the day and not have to worry about anything else. And then, yeah, I agree with both of you, so I'm a big Gus Johnson, Joel Clack guy. They do make the games much more enjoyable. I feel like Gus Johnson really, really gets into it for Ohio State, and I do enjoy his calls, but... Yeah, so that Oregon game will be at noon. Um, obviously, they were supposed to play last year, but that didn't happen. They would have played in Oregon. Now the game is at Ohio State. Um, but yeah, it, it is. It's a weird start to the schedule. Usually, Ohio State gets you know like a max school out of the gate or something like that. But it's not. It's not the first time we've seen something like this. Um, in 2017, Ohio State actually started like this will be on a Thursday night. They played at Indiana. I actually went to that game. Well, I was at OSU at the time. I, I took this short road trip to that game. It was probably like 80% Ohio State fans. But that was another you know, Thursday night Big Ten kickoff. So they've been starting to do this a little more. And obviously, like if the Big Ten's going to do those kicks, they want Ohio State to be involved because that's the big TV draw. And I mean, you're going to get good TV on a Thursday night when it's the only game on anyway. But if it's an Ohio State game, it's going gonna, it's gonna to really draw the crowd. And, you know, they, they won that game. They won 49-21. It was a weird game. They were I think they were trailing at half, and that was like the J.K. Dobbins big breakout. But this will be an interesting, interesting game for Ohio State, given that they're going to be breaking in a new quarterback, potentially a new running back, or like still trying to figure out what their running backs will look like. So so what do you guys think about this this start at Minnesota? Obviously, Minnesota wasn't really um, that good last year. And we're going we're gonna to talk about this more in depth once the game comes around, obviously, and we move to two episodes a week with our previews and breakdowns after the game. But for now, just a, just a brief overview of what we think about this start uh, for Ohio State going to Minnesota at night. Yeah, Gene, um, you know, hopefully I don't get ratioed on online, but I think it's going to be an interesting game. Um, like you said, we're breaking in a lot of new players. We're going to have a new quarterback, potentially new running back, new guys all over the field. And Minnesota was garbage last year. It is what it is. They were three and four, but you sort of throw it out the window. It was a pandemic year, obviously a bit strange for most teams, but when you look at what they do have returning, they lost Rashad Bateman, good player, but they've got a couple of fifth year guys coming back. Tanner Morgan, at quarterback, he was second team all Big Ten in 2019. 3,000 yards, 30 touchdowns, good ball player. And they have Muhammad Ibrahim at running back. Last year, he was the Big Ten running back of the year. He was a third team All American. He averaged uh, about 150 yards a game. So they have some talent coming back. And, and the new versus the old could be sort of an interesting dynamic as far as I'm concerned. I'm not afraid of a loss per se, but I do think it'll be interesting and it's a good, good test out of the gate. Yeah. It's interesting because Minnesota's kind of um, in the exact opposite straits of Ohio state to where they got their quarterback. They're not breaking anybody in, in that position is Tanner Morgan. He's a great player. Um, you know, we've seen him before. Obviously everyone's seen him before he's been around the block. Um, he's not really going to provide too much of a surprise for anybody, which is kind of a, a benefit and a downfall. Um, you know, I know, obviously, Josh just mentioned Muhammad Ibrahima. I think I said that right. Um, he had 157 yards rushing as Ohio State. 
back in 2018 in that in that close uh, close game that Ohio State saw in Minnesota. So, you know, this is a team that can. There's always that one game when Ohio State plays a Big Ten West team that really tends to to worry Ohio State fans and Ohio State, um, you know, I'm sure personnel. And this is one of them. I don't think they're going to get caught looking ahead because the first game of the season. Um, so I don't think they have to worry about that. If it was in the middle of the season with a big game looming, I'd say worry about that. But I don't think you can get caught looking ahead in the first game of the season. Um, that would just be a poor lack of preparation. And Ryan Day hasn't really shown that. Um, but it will be a good game. I think that I do like the Thursday night kickoff. I'm actually, I'm actually a huge fan of that. Um, and I like it from a logistical standpoint of it gives them nine days to prepare for Oregon. So um, that's cool. And it, their, their schedule gets – mightily easy after those two games. So it's kind of nice. It's kind of trial by fire out of the gate, slow down a little bit, and then they get to play the, the Penn States and the Michigans of the world later. Yeah, for sure. Right after that Oregon game, they go through a stretch of Tulsa, Akron, Rutgers, and Maryland. So it's not exactly murderer's row following that start. But it will be interesting. I think it's actually a benefit for Ohio State to play a game like this right out of the gate especially if head of Oregon, to kind of, you know, get their feet wet, see what they need to improve on heading into that big game. It'll be interesting to see how they handle it because, like I said, in 2017 when they played that game uh, against Indiana on a Thursday night, the next game of that season was the Oklahoma game at home, and they wound up losing that game. So they had extra preparation then, too. They weren't ready for Baker Mayfield and the Sooners in that game. So hopefully they're, they, they've they learned from that and what they did wrong in that off week and kind of can build on what happened, whatever happens in the Minnesota game, and they could, you know, they'll be ready for Oregon coming in. Oregon's a, a good team. They'll be, they're sound defensively. I don't know what their offense will look like, but they're usually pretty high-flying out there. They're one of the better Pac-12 teams. So it should be it should be a fun game. It'll be a good, uh, good jersey matchup. They'll probably have some fun stuff going on in that game. So... I'm looking forward to both. The only other game that was announced so far timing-wise was that the Michigan game will be at noon, but that's no surprise because it's always at noon. Um, anything else that anybody wants to add to that before you move on a little bit? Yeah, you know, just to touch on Oregon again, I I don't really – they don't strike a lot of fear into me this year. They were 4-3 and three last year. They lost Penny Sewell. Uh, they obviously lost Justin Herbert a couple of years ago. So they bring back Anthony Brown, who was a transfer from B.C., Nothing special there as far as I'm concerned. They do have a good running back in C.J. Verdell. He was good uh, two and three years ago. But I just I see them as more of a, a 500 team. Maybe they eke out eight and four in the, uh, the Pac-10, Pac-10, Pac-12. Sorry. And um, so, yeah, that was the only other really interesting game. The rest of it is the Big Ten slate. You know, it is what it is. We know who we have to prepare for, and we know the big game at the end of the year. Yeah, I know people in Eugene are excited for Anthony Brown, and I'm excited to see what he looks like. Tyler Show transferred out of there from Texas Tech. Uh, but the one thing that we do know is that he's not Baker Mayfield, so hopefully that will be a little bit of a, a cushion there to uh, to play that. And, you know, that game in Oklahoma, that was one of the better performances I've seen from a quarterback over the past decade against Ohio State. So uh, I don't think we'll see that from Anthony Brown. But I know people are high on him, and he had a good bowl game for them when he, he played. The, that was the most he played all season, so – It'll be interesting to see what he what he is and what he does. Uh, I actually think the matchup to look forward to in that one is uh, Kayvon Thibodeau on the outside versus either Thayer Mudford or uh, Nicholas Petit-Ferrer, whoever he's matched up against. He's projected as one of the top defensive ends in next year's NFL draft, and he's going against two of the best uh, offensive tackles there are in college football. So that'll be a fun matchup, but that's something more we could kind of talk about when that game rolls around. But while we're on the topic of scheduling, we also got a little bit of a peek into Ohio State's basketball schedule this past week. Um, they announced that they're all their Big Ten opponents, and obviously they're going to play everyone, but they announced uh, more specifically which teams are going to play once and where they'll be at. So 
in terms of their Big Ten schedule. Um, are the away games, the teams that they'll play away only will be Illinois, Purdue, and Rutgers. And then at home only, it'll be Iowa, Michigan State, and Northwestern. And then everyone else will be a home-and-home series. But those are the one-offs that we know now. Um, so they, they avoid a trip to East Lansing and to Iowa, but they do have to go to Mackey Arena, which has been nothing short of a house of horrors for the basketball team. So, Justin, maybe we'll default to you first. You seem to be more of the bigger basketball guys at Langer and Holy Land. What did you think of the uh, the way Ohio State's Big Ten opponents kind of fell out? Yeah, it looked very favorable, uh, to be honest. You know, you only have to go to, obviously, you only, get, you only have to play Michigan State once, only have to play Iowa once, Illinois once, Purdue once. Purdue's going to be a top eight maybe team in the country next year. They're going to be one of those, those teams that people kind of like Michigan last year, people aren't going to really know a lot about them going into the year, but Purdue loses absolutely nobody. Um, so they're, they're going to be fantastic. Uh, so it's, it's good. It sucks. It stinks. They have to go to Mackey arena, but it's good. They only play them once. Um, you know, it's going to be very interesting. It's, it's tough right now to completely gauge schedules because the guys are still in the early entry for the NBA draft. So you don't know who's coming back. Obviously, Ohio State is in the same boat with their two best players. We don't know if they're coming back. Um, and then you have other teams who are – guys are still transferring. So, rosters don't look exactly how they're going to. Um, but at the end of the day, I do think that just from a from a venue standpoint, as you mentioned, um, it is very favorable. And, you know, we know Michigan State's going to be good. We know Iowa's going to be good. Um, so, only have to play them once. And getting them at home is something that I think definitely is going to benefit them because – from what we know about Ohio State's non-conference schedule so far, it's tough. They're playing in, I believe, Battle for Atlantis is next year. I know they have another um, uh, Thanksgiving tournament that is escaping me right now. But they're going to play some top 25 teams, probably three or four of them at least, in the non-conference schedule. So um, it's, it's going to be good. They, they can't really struggle this year in conference. They're going to have to really kind of make their way. And they should be. The, they should be the number one team in the conference next year, as long as Dwayne Washington and EJ Liddell come back. So um, they're going to need to kind of prove that they can win this conference next year, not just in the tournament, but in the regular season. Yeah. And just to, just to build on some of the, the non-conference opponents they have, um, they have a, they have a spot in the Fort Myers tip off, which is from November 25th to the 27th. Uh, they don't know who they're guaranteed to play two games. I don't know which of the opponents yet, but so far um, California, Florida and Seton Hall are some of the others that are confirmed to be in that event. Um, Holtman has talked about, you know, getting some of those early season tournaments every year. So they're, they're going to be in the Maui Invitational next year. So stuff like that. Um, they're obviously going to play in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. We don't know that opponent yet. Uh, John Rothstein has said that they're going to play Towson as one of their uh, non-conference opponents. That's kind of like a lower opponent. They're also going to play Kentucky. Uh, that's been confirmed. So there's a few openings left on the schedule, but there are going to be some big matchups, as you said, sprinkled in throughout the year. So on top of their Big Ten schedule, it will be you know another good mix. I think Ohio State had a good mix last year of a big uh, top tier opponents and like little uh, like pushover games. But I, it's going to be another one of those this year. Yeah, maybe you guys can converse me a little bit better. I I see the Big Ten potentially being a weaker conference this year than it was last year. I know that Illinois loses AO not going to bother with his last name and Kofi Coburn, Iowa obviously loses Lucas Garza and Minnesota lost their coach and two best players. So, you know, I, I know Michigan has a, a hell of a uh, recruiting class coming in, but those other three teams I mentioned, like I said, maybe you guys converse me a little bit. I see them being weaker, but feel free to tell me I'm wrong. Now the conference I, I do believe will be down next year. There's certain teams that, they're always going to be good, you know, like the Michigan States. Michigan 
Michigan's going to be the most interesting team, as it seems like they always are, because they're losing, I think, six to their top seven scorers. The only one coming back is Hunter Dickinson. But their recruiting class and the transfers they've gotten so far are incredible. Um, I know Minnesota was really – they're really keen on Katie Johnson from Georgia, who's transferring. He's supposed to announce today, actually, where he's going. I don't think he's announced it yet, though. But a lot of people do think he might be leaving Minnesota, so that could change a lot for them. Um, Iowa – Again, it's going to be kind of a question mark because they do lose Luca, Luca Garza. Um, Jordan Bahan is back for his 27th season. Um, but uh, I do think, especially with Ohio State not losing really anybody outside of C.J. Walker, um, I do think Ohio State will be uh, the top team in the conference. And Purdue will be the team that is very interesting to me to watch. Yeah, and even if Purdue wasn't good, just as we said, you know, playing at Mac Arena has been terrible for Ohio State. It doesn't even matter if it is Purdue. If you all remember, the, the Oral Roberts loss was also in Mac Arena in the NCAA tournament. So it doesn't even matter what team's on the other end of the floor. is. If Ohio State's playing in Mac Arena, that's, they're, they're basically starting down like 20 to nothing. So that'll be an interesting trip. Uh, but yeah, Ohio State's team, and like a lot of the other Big Ten teams, is going to look a little different. Uh, they added Joey Brunk and... Uh, Jamari Wheeler, Joey Brunk from Indiana, and Penn, uh, Jamari Wheeler from Penn State. Um, obviously, Jamari Wheeler is going to place replace C.J. Walker, and Joey Brunk will be an additional big man off the bench. Um, we do have to talk about, though, a little bit what's going on with E.J. Liddell and Dwayne Washington Jr. So they've both... They both declared for the NBA draft, which you can do in college basketball and still come back as long as you don't hire an agent, but... Um, you know, the, the prevailing thought for a while is that they'd both be back. There's really no, I don't think either of them are going to be first-round NBA draft picks. So there's, there's you'd think that they're both going to come back. But it seems like uh, lately, uh, maybe it's just what I've been seeing, but I think there's less of a chance. I think they do. I still think personally that they both come back, but I think there's less of a chance that Liddell comes back than Washington. I think Liddell could pursue some overseas opportunities. And if you can, you know, play a year of basketball and actually making money rather than playing another year of college for free, then... No, all the power too, you know. So, not going to fault the guy for that if you wanted to do it. I do think Dwayne comes back. He seemed to be more, you know. I don't think he's really exploring overseas opportunities. And if he's not getting high NBA draft grades, which I doubt he is at this current stage of his career, I think he'll be back in Columbus. But what do you guys think about, you know, the potential of EJ Liddell not coming back next year? Yeah, you know, I actually wrote about this shameless plug for Land Grant Holy Land about this um, last week. I think both guys should come back. But I'm with you. I would be less surprised if EJ Liddell chose to pursue opportunities elsewhere, especially after some of the stuff that he dealt with after the season, the social media garbage where people were coming at him. And he's probably the higher tier prospect. So maybe a year overseas gets him noticed even more and he can, you know, get on the radar of some NBA teams a year after that. But I think both guys have things to work on in their game. I think EJ Liddell could come back and build on the 17 game, 17 points he put up per game this year and potentially be a, uh, you know, second, third team, all American honorable mention, something like that. And Dwayne Washington, I think it would just be fun to get him back. He turned into a, a better leader than I ever thought he would be. You know, there was, speculation that he might leave the program a couple of years ago. He stuck around. He's become more of a vocal leader, more of a passionate guy. So I'd love to see him come back. And he is your, your heat check guy. You know, he's the, the guy who could go off for 30 points when we really need him. So I'd really love to see him both come back, run it back with this team, tons of experience and a lot of talent coming in. But um, 
you know, we'll see. They've got less than a month now to decide, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, you know, I'll be waiting to see what their announcement is. Hopefully they come back. Yeah, the conversation amongst Ohio State fans about Dwayne Washington has always kind of fascinated me because I think people like to point out a lot more when he's cold than when he's hot. Um, yes, you are going to get games like you did against Laura Roberts where he struggles, and, you know, you kind of live and die by that. But also the game right before that against Illinois in the Big Ten Championship game where they just looked completely dead on offense, he absolutely willed them through that game, him and E.J. Liddell did. So, um, you know, it's always a, it's a, it's an interesting thing to look at with, with the draft and especially the new rules where you can go into the draft and, you know, get your, get your response and come back. There's absolutely no dis, dis downside to it. Um, so I, there's no surprise that Liddell and Washington both decided to do it. I would be a lot more surprised. There's really no doubt in my mind Washington will come back. Remember, Dwayne Washington's uncle is Derek Fisher. He's got that competitor blood in him, and I don't think he wants to leave Ohio State the way with that Oral Roberts game. Um, I mean, everybody knows he had a three to tie the game um, at the end, and he was wide open. He just missed it. Um, so I think that is going to fuel him next year, and I think you're going to see a guy who is going to be one of the best shooting guards in the country and is going to be maybe even one of the best players in the country, honestly. Um, and also with Liddell, it's, it's kind of interesting to watch how people talk about when you look at comments about if Liddell were to stay in the draft, because I agree, if he were to stay in the draft this year, probably pursue more of an overseas career. Um, and people always tend to kind of use that as an insult. Um, that's not an insult. An overseas career is fantastic. John Diebler, when he got drafted, went overseas during the strike, and his rights were owned by the Blazers for like five years. And he just decided never to come back to the NBA because of how much he enjoyed playing overseas. Um, so playing overseas, it's a lucrative career. You can make millions of dollars to play basketball in Italy and Spain and these fantastic countries. So um, it wouldn't be – I would be a little – I would be surprised to either of them stay in the draft. Uh, when you look at all the mock drafts by guys like Jonathan Gavini from ESPN and Sam Bersini, uh, Bersini sorry, from The Athletic, um, they don't have Liddell listed in their mock drafts, and I don't think they're going to. And I think I think he will. I think they'll take the time. I don't think we'll hear anything from them until probably late June. Um, I believe the deadline is July seventh. Now I could be wrong about that, but I believe it's around there. So we won't hear much from him until then. Um, and especially when you look at this team when they come back, if those two were to come back, they're pretty much the consensus number two team in the country behind Gonzaga. Uh, they brought in Jamari Wheeler, who's going to help them on defense. He's more of a Shannon Scott than Aaron Kraft, but he's an incredible defender. Ohio State fans should know this if they've been paying attention because he has made Ohio State guards' lives miserable. Um, and Joey Brunk is a, is a very big guy who can come in and make E.J. Liddell play the four, which is, I, if you looked at his father's comments to Adam Jardy of the Columbus Dispatch when there were these kind of weird tra uh, transfer rumors going around E.J. Liddell, his dad mentioned that he's excited to – kind of if he does come back to play the four and to play a little more outside and show how he can handle the ball and, and dribble and make plays for himself and shoot. I mean, his, his three-pointer, his three-point shot came a, came a long way throughout the season. Um, I'm excited to see what he would do if he would come back. So I think he's going to also kind of see that, see that he has a Joey Brunk, see that Kyle Young came back. There's your two centers. Ed Pugh obviously would be a center as well. Um, and then you have Caitlin Metzler coming in, who's 6'9". Uh, he's not really a center, but he is tall and he can get some rebounds. So uh, I think E.J. Liddell will be excited to take on kind of a new role in this offense to where he, you'll probably never see E.J. Liddell play the five if he were to come back this year. 
Yeah, and I think that's the ideal spot for him. I actually just looked it up because I was curious myself. The the actually there's still you could still declare if you're an underclassman. The de- the deadline to declare is May 30th, so you could still see some extra guys from around the country declaring. Possibly, I don't think you're going to see anybody else from Ohio State take that option. But we've got a little bit of a while before we find out definitively if these guys are coming back. Obviously, we would like them both to come back. That's Ohio State's two leading scores from a year ago, so they're pretty important guys to this team. They do have some talent coming in. Like you said, in Etzler, they also have Malachi Branham. So there will be some guys coming in, but to lose your top two scores like that would be a tough blow to this season. And, you know, one that Ohio State, if these guys both come back, should be in really good shape to potentially win the Big Ten. Yeah, there's a very interesting parallel right now between Ohio State and Illinois last year because Illinois is waiting to hear from AO and Kofi, uh, you know, their two best players, if they were going to come back. And if they didn't come back, they were going to be a good team still. But if they did come back, they were going to be a top three team in the country. And they did end up coming back, and you saw what great year Illinois had, even though it ended, obviously, disappointingly. So that's just an interesting parallel, Drew. This is Hyde's The Basketball Side of Things. Um, I think we should touch on the story that kind of took over the news cycle last week. It was kind of an odd one, kind of one that had us on the edge of our seats, but then wound up not being as huge of a deal as we originally thought. So basically, if you hadn't seen it by now, which I don't know how you haven't if you're an Ohio State fan, uh, there was this whole thing going on with a uh, 41-year-old massage therapist from the Cleveland area who was like contacting OSU football players on social media, offering massages with a little bit extra. Um, there was no money involved. It seemed to just be you know for her own benefit. There wasn't any malicious intent on either side. Uh, Ohio State did a whole report on her. Uh, there was no NCAA sanctions found. She was she's since been. Uh, banned from campus and all that stuff and like they they did a whole investigation there was no nothing bad found it wasn't like you know anything that's going to impact the team but we were kind of on the edge of our seats last week when we found out you know Ohio State was having a midweek press conference there was some you know rumors floating around about what could it be what could it be some people thought that maybe Gene Smith was taking the Pac-12 commissioner job some people thought you know oh another scandal like we saw you know we know anything that happens at Ohio State no matter how small could turn into the biggest thing we saw what happened when Chase Young's girlfriend god forbid got a plane ticket to the Rose Bowl so Anything that happens like that that could potentially impact Ohio State on the field, off the field, is going to become national news. So I think they're they did their best to you know get out ahead of it. It doesn't seem like it's a huge deal now. I already like after you know a day or two after it, I haven't really even seen much of it. But uh, do you guys have anything extra to add on that? It seems like it's uh you know it's an interesting story. It's definitely something that you know had to be brought up and had to be discussed before it got out there and people made a bigger deal of it than it was. But uh, it seems like it's kind of a no harm, no foul thing. It's been taken care of, and now they could just kind of move forward from it. And you know that's it. Yeah, the whole thing's kind of sticky. Um, and unfortunately, people were and are going to be affected one way or another. Uh, you sort of can draw some parallels between this and the Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson situation. Um, and as an Ohio State fan, I'm just glad that it doesn't seem like any of our student athletes are going to be impacted negatively by this, besides maybe, you know, some rumors floating around. But all in all, good to hear that it wasn't what some of the rumors were and what it, you know, could have potentially been made out to be. I absolutely thought it was about Dean Smith taking the Pac-12 commissioner job. I was like sold. I, there was no doubt in my mind that that's what, what it was about. So I never quite got into the whole like, oh, the scandal, because by the time we heard it wasn't about that, the story already came out of what it was. So my mind never quite got into scandal mode. Um, I'm just like, like Josh, I'm just glad that it isn't a scandal. It's not a recruiting violation thing. Obviously when you hear scandal, that's kind of your first thing you jump to, especially in this day and age in college sports is recruiting or benefits or something. 
of that nature. Um, so I'm glad it wasn't that. Uh, it was obviously a situation that I don't think anybody could have predicted. Um, but sometimes things like that happen. Yeah, and I don't even think it's really even worth calling like a scandal. I think it's just kind of a story that Ohio State wanted to get out ahead of. They, they apparently their report started in March, and they had hired a law firm to check it out. And of the um, 117 current and former OSU players, and the 44 current coaches and staff that were interviewed, um, they found out that 83 of them had either no knowledge or very limited limited knowledge of this woman. Um, nine players interacted with the woman or even knew about her. Uh, 20 said they had received messages but didn't do anything, and five said they had um, engaged in sexual activity. So overall, it was really just five players that were the main part of this. But, you know, a couple of people knew about it. It wasn't like a huge, you know, the whole team was involved. It, wasn't, it, it seemed like a small group of people. Who knows if they're even players that are still on the team because they said they interviewed current and former players. So I don't think it's anything that's really going to draw on anymore. I doubt we'll hear about it much more. Situation seems to be taken care of, and it's not really anything to get worried about. I don't think anybody was, was harmed by it in any way. There was no money exchange. Like we said, the NCAA took a look at it themselves once Ohio State gave them the info, and they said, you know, it seems all in the up and up. You guys are good. So uh, crisis avoided there, I guess. But um, other than that, I think that's really all we have today. I don't think there's anything else really going on in the world of Ohio State. So far, so good. You know, we have um, summer's coming up, so we'll obviously have a bunch of recruiting stuff going on once the uh, the dead period opens up at the start of June. But um, yeah, guys, I, uh, Gene, sorry to cut you off. No, I just want to throw a question out to you guys real quick, and I, I know we can make this really quick. But I saw somewhere, and I I wish I remembered the service. I don't recall what it was, but I saw somewhere where C.J. Stroud was listed as having the fifth best Heisman odds. Just wanted to get some quick thoughts from you guys on that. Yeah, I mean, whoever starts at quarterback for Ohio State is stepping into a pretty pretty darn good situation, I would say, with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson out there, and then whoever the hell they throw it. Slot receiver doesn't even matter. It's Jack Smith and Jigba, Julian Fleming, Emeka Buka, you know. Whatever five-star recruit you want to throw out there with them, go ahead. So I think, you know, Ohio State's offense under Ryan Day has been fantastic, and I don't expect that to change anytime soon. So even if Ohio State's quarterback comes in and just, you know, plays decent, I think they'll be in the running for the Heisman especially with, you know, some of the opponents. If, they, you you know, you get a win over Oregon, uh, you get a win, they're going to play Purdue, obviously, who they got to get some revenge on from a couple years ago, Penn State, Michigan. So there, there's definitely a chance to win some big games and get your name out there for the Heisman candidacy. And, you know, I do think that that's going to be, you know, that's not out of the question. And obviously the Heisman odd makers believe that C.J. Stroud will win the quarterback job like a lot of people do. And, you know, if he, whoever does, if it's him, whoever, I think they have a, you know, a good shot to work their way into the conversation with the way that, you know, between Ryan Day and the players they have out there on offense. Yeah, that, uh, that, the, what the Heisman I was just talking about was from sports betting, I believe. Um, and I saw of the top six names, C.J. Stroud was listed, who was someone who's never really played a college game. And then also Bryce Young was. So same boat as C.J. Stroud with Alabama. And then the number two guy was D.J., insert last name here, from Clemson, uh, who's played like two games. So it, it, it seems like a lot of speculation to me. Obviously, like, like Gene said, anybody in that offense with Ryan Day who steps into that role is going to be a Heisman candidate. Um, if he has a good season, if he doesn't, then they're going to have somebody that can replace him. So, um, you know, personally, I don't think he's probably – he's really – I like Sam Howell and maybe a guy like Keaton Slovis, maybe Spencer Rattler. Uh, as the early Heisman favorites, but um, if CJ, I mean, we talked, we just talked about in, in the beginning of this podcast. If CJ Stroud comes out and he puts on a show against Minnesota and Oregon, you can light those Heisman odds right up. Yeah, I mean, a Heisman as far as it goes, going into a season before even a game is played, I can tell you the Heisman odds are going to contain the Oklahoma quarterback, Alabama's running back, and probably someone from Ohio State's offense. So that's <laughs> it's generally how things are going to go. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with you guys. I just thought that was interesting when I saw it. And uh, Justin, thank you for giving credit where credit is due on that. Gene, like you said, I think that the quarterback at Ohio State has almost unlimited opportunity to kind of show out and put up some stats in a Ryan Day offense. So um, thought that was interesting, and I might have to uh, check out the odds and, and lay, lay a little money down. Uh, we're, we're a pro sports gambling podcast out here, as long as it's legal in your state, of course. So, yes, yeah, I think that's it. As always, uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, go ahead and like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a review. Hit us up on Twitter at HolyLandPod and at our personal accounts, which you can find in the post for this podcast. Um, but that's going to be it. So, as always, thank you for listening. And for Josh Dooley and Justin Golba, I am Gene Ross, and we will see you next Wednesday. Thank you.